Welcome or welcome back to the Northwood Podcast. This is Tommy, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to take a few moments to listen to this podcast today. Do me a favor, at the end of this podcast, take a moment to subscribe. That way you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. And check out our website, northwoodbaptist.com, and learn about all that's taking place in the life of our church. I hope this message blesses you, and I hope it helps you to connect faith to life. As you have a seat, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, Acts is not hard to find at all. Just go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So five books into the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, in the seat before you in the book rack, there should be a copy of the Bible. Take that Bible and find Acts 8, 26 through 40 with us. And you can take that Bible home with you and begin to read it and learn more about the God that loves you. So Acts 8, 26 through 40 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. We are getting close, aren't we? We're less than a month away from being finished with our journey through the Bible over the course of 100 days. And I, and I hope that, that uh, you are keeping up with your reading, and I hope this has been a blessing to you. This past week or so, you've been reading from the book of Acts, and it's such a powerful story. We'll actually, uh, in the fall, uh, start to walk through the book of Acts together as a faith family, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and I'm, I'm excited about that. But this morning, Acts 8, 26 through 40. And so, so I know that, that most of you are, are like me when you have big policies that you have to read and sign off on. You don't read those policies, big contracts. You trust that whoever is giving you the contract or giving you the policy is going to explain it to you thoroughly enough so you don't have to read it, right? Uh, for example, I, I remember when Stacy and I uh, bought our house here in, in, in the Charleston area, and we went down and we sat with a lawyer on that day of closing, and it's like they give you a book. And it's like a thousand pages of stuff that you're responsible for, and, and in that setting there, you don't have time to read that book, so you're trusting that lawyer to read through it and to tell you what's in it, and then you assign your life away. That's just the way it works. And, and so there was this uh, travel insurance company that they wanted to make sure that people actually read the fine print, read all the documentation. And so, so in their travel policy, uh, they, they, they gave the travel policy, is about 10 pages long, and at the last page, in the last sentence, it says something to, effect, to the effect of this. If you've read all the way to the end of this policy, congratulations. Call this phone number, whatever the phone number was, or email this email address. You are the recipient of $10,000 cash. That was in their policy. They didn't give away $10,000 for a long time until, until one lady, one school teacher from Georgia, read all the way through the policy and got to the end and read that she could have $10,000 if she called, and she did, and she won $10,000 simply because she read the policy. Lesson for you is there's money to be had if you read the policy, right? Maybe, you hope. But aren't you thankful, aren't you thankful that when we read the Bible together, God doesn't write out for us in fine print what he wants us to know and how he wants us to live. I mean, it's very evident, is it not? I mean, it's in big letters. And and hopefully, now, as we've studied through the Bible together over the course of these hundred days, as you've read from Genesis, now to the book of Acts, you've seen it. You've seen very clearly what God is trying to communicate to us as his people through his word. I mean, the whole Bible tells one story of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the redemption of God. It is very plain from Genesis all the way to Revelation what the Bible is about. It's about God redeeming his people through his son, Jesus Christ. And now, as we're in the book of Acts and going through Acts, through the rest of the New Testament, 
is also very clear how we're supposed to respond uh, to this message of salvation that we've seen in Genesis up to the resurrection of Christ, of Christ right? That here now in Acts and going forward, it's very clear that, that this God who calls us into a relationship with him, he wants us now to take the good news of Christ and take it into our world. It's very plain and very simple and very clear as you read through the New Testament. And now here we are in Acts, and it's an amazing story. Because what we see in the book of Acts is God uses ordinary people, people like you and me, to carry out his eternal kingdom work here on this earth. Because let's be honest, in this room, there aren't many of us, I don't think, that are extremely famous, at least if you are, I don't know about it, so you're not that famous, right? So there's not really any of us in this room that are really famous. Uh, There aren't any of us in this room, I don't think, that are just extremely influential in our community or in national politics. There aren't any of us in this room uh, that that are extremely wealthy and uh, own or run Fortune 500 companies. I mean, in this room, look around. I mean, all of us are just ordinary people. In fact, the, the reality is, outside of our friends and family, our jobs outside of our our neighborhood maybe or outside of this church. Most people on the face of this planet don't even know that we exist. And that's okay. We're just simple, ordinary people. But don't think for a moment that God doesn't use people like us to be about the most important work on the face of the planet. And that's what we see in the story we're going to look at this morning, how God uses ordinary people to be on his mission. And so what I want to show you is how, right? I want to show you some ways that you can be used by God to be about his mission on this earth. How God uses ordinary people to be on mission for him. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Great story. Take your Bibles, look at it, rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. 
And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for what you're going to show us in your word this morning, how you want to use people like us to be about your kingdom work here on this earth. And so I ask that as we study your word this morning, as you speak to us, we would listen with, with our ears wide open, wanting to hear what you have to say to us this morning and wanting to respond to you in obedience and surrender. So, Father, thank you for this moment now that we have together. We're trusting that you're going to do a work of grace grace and transformation in our lives right now. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So, so, so you know the story, but let me just kind of give you the backstory for just a moment. You know what happens at the end of Jesus' time on earth. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciples as they are gathered around him, go into the, all the world, preach the gospel, right? And, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them the things that I've commanded you. And now in Acts, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascends back to heaven to be with the heavenly Father, he looks at his disciples and says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as you begin to read the book of Acts, that's exactly what happens. His followers witness and share the good news, not only in Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. And it's amazing what takes place in the first couple of chapters of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we know it is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells every single believer. Every single follower of Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God. And the church grows exponentially. By the time you get into Acts chapter 3, there are thousands of people who've placed their faith in Jesus and who are now Christ followers. It's amazing. And the disciples, the apostles, those, those 12 men who've been charged with the work of the ministry, they are overwhelmed. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, you see how overwhelmed they are. They were trying to help out some widows, feeding them on a daily basis, helping to provide for their needs. But they can't do it. It's just too much of a task. And so they set aside seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit to help them. Seven ordinary men. We don't know their stories. We don't know their backstories, where they came from, what they've been doing. But they hadn't been Christians very long. Some maybe for a few weeks, some a few months, not long at all. But now the disciples, the apostles, have set them aside to assist them in ministering to the widows. But we discover that two of them do much more than just minister to widows. Ordinary men. Stephen, for example, is one of those seven. And if you've been reading through the Bible with us this week, you've read Stephen's story. Stephen begins to do miraculous signs and wonders. And he even preaches, right? He preaches the gospel. And, and when he preaches the gospel, he infuriates religious leaders. And because of Stephen's bold gospel preaching, he's killed. And becomes the first martyr of the Christian faith. But look at what the Bible says. You come to Acts chapter 8, and you look at, at, at verse 1. And there arose on that day, the day that Stephen was martyred, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles, they stay back in Jerusalem, but the persecution in Jerusalem becomes so great that these believers who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they begin to leave Jerusalem in droves. And they go out into places like Samaria and to the rest of Judea. And it's really fascinating, right? Because there's another one of these seven men that the apostles appointed to help care for the needs of the widows that does much more than care for the needs of the widows. His name is Philip. And, and so Philip, he's in Samaria. And, and you know this, right? Because we talked about it when we went through the gospel and marked together. You know that there is opposition 
Lots of opposition between the Samaritans and the Jews for a variety of reasons. And so now you have Jewish believers who've moved into Samaria. And you have Philip, a Jewish believer, who is in Samaria, and he begins to do what? Preach the gospel. Share the truth about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And an amazing thing happens. In Samaria, people begin to respond. Samaritans begin to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the one who died and rose again. Now, all of a sudden, this is amazing. You have Jewish believers and Samaritan believers in Jesus Christ who are living together as brothers and sisters in Christ. People that had hated each other for all of their lives, people that had been opposed to each other for all of their lives, now are unified together in Christ because the gospel breaks down all barriers. I mean, it's unbelievable. So unbelievable, in fact, that Peter and John have to check this out. They're back in Jerusalem. They hear what's going on. And so they go to Samaria to see what's taking place. And they see how the Spirit of God has been at work in Samaria. And so they pray and the Holy Spirit comes to Samaria and fills those Samaritan believers. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel going forth, not only in Jerusalem, but in Samaria. And then, and then, you come to chapter 8, verse 26. I mean, Philip, if you're Philip, I mean, it's a good day, right? Because a couple months ago, you were doing your own thing, whether he was a carpenter or a fisherman, who knows? But now, he's a powerful gospel preacher, and he's seen God work through him mightily in Samaria. Thousands of people, maybe we don't know, have come to faith in Samaria. And, and, and if, if you're like Philip, or if you're like me, this is what I would want to do. I'd want to set up camp there, right? Let's build the first Baptist church in Samaria and have the church build me a nice parsonage and just live the rest of my life in Samaria and see what God wants. But that's not what happens. Because you come to chapter 8, verse 26, and the Bible says that an angel of the Lord comes to Philip, who'd had so much success, spiritually speaking, in Samaria. And the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go, I want you to go to a road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Go. It's in a desert place. I want you to leave the success of this ministry here in Samaria. Leave these people that you've led to Christ. Leave this movement of the Spirit and go to a desert road. And if you're Philip, you can imagine the objections. Maybe the things that began to to come across his mind as he considered what he was being told by God in those moments. No. No. What about Peter or John? I mean, after all, they're apostles. If anyone should be traveling to that place, it should be one of them, not me. I mean, after all, look where I'm at. I'm in a place where I am seeing successful ministry. But you know this like I do, that the moment you give your life to Jesus, the moment that you choose to follow Jesus with your life is the moment that you quit calling the shots of your life. Because the moment you choose to follow Jesus, you hand the pen of your life over to God and you say, God, you write my story. It's not my story. You write my story. What you want from me, I want. What you call me to do, that's what I do. You see, the moment you give your life to Jesus is the moment you quit calling the shots of your life. And some of you didn't know that. Because when you came to faith, you came to faith for the benefits of the faith. You came to faith because you wanted God to make your life better. You want him to help you in some bad situations that you have. You want him to give you eternal life. And certainly, life with Christ is better. But Paul said in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship, saved for good works. When you gave your life to Jesus, you handed your life over to him, and you said, 
Whatever you desire for me, that's what I want. And, and so listen, listen. If we're going to be people who, who live for God, ordinary people who live on mission for God, listen, you got to do this. You got to open your heart to the Spirit's leadership. In other words, you can't say, you never have the privilege or the opportunity or the right to say to God, not now. I mean, you can imagine Philip, God, not now. I mean, things are going great right here, not now. And some of you have struggled with this. Because you have heard God speak to you very clearly through his word, telling you certain things you need to do, certain adjustments that you need to make in your life, certain people that God wants you to invest in. And you've said to God, now's not the right time. I've got to figure this out first. I've got to make this happen first. And then once I get past this, then I'll live for you. Or not there. You've said not now. You've said not there. God, I know that my neighbor across the street is lost. And I know that, that you want me to, to share the gospel with him, but he's so different than me. Our, our family backgrounds are different. Our, 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 our upbringing's different. And I'll go, but not there. Or that short-term mission trip. God, I know you want me to be a part of your plan to reach nations, but not there. Maybe it would be wise for you. If there's an opportunity before you to share the gospel, if there's an opportunity before you to go and, and serve in a different context, whether it's here in North Charleston or even across the world, maybe it would be wise for you. Instead of always responding at first by saying, not there, maybe it would be wise for you to say, yes. Just assume yes. Assume that that's what God wants you to do. Unless you hear a clear no from God. You see, we're so busy giving God excuses, but you can't. If God is writing the story of your life, you can't say not now, and you can't say not there, and you can't say not me. Certainly Philip in that moment wanted to say not me, Lord. Why not Peter? Why not John? But if you belong to Jesus, you can't say not me. When God calls you to a specific task or puts somebody in your path that he wants you to invest in for the sake of the gospel, you can't say not me. All you can say is, yes, Lord. But in this room, it's true because it's been true in my life as well. For us, we have made up our minds that we're going to say not now, not there, and not me. This past week, I, I came home for dinner one night, and, and Stacy had made chicken parmesan, a great meal, something we enjoy eating in our house. And so she did that. And, and the side dish that she made for chicken parmesan was asparagus. Now, 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 I have a rule. And you've heard me tell you my rule before. My simple rule of life is if it looks like a tree and it smells like a foot when you cook it, you don't eat it. Easy enough, right? So things like broccoli, cauliflower, all those things look like tree and they certainly smell like feet when you cook them. Now, I don't care if you put them in a casserole. I don't care if you cover them with cheese. I don't care what you do to them. It doesn't change the fact they look like trees and smell like feet so you don't eat them. Now, asparagus, it looks like a tree. A funny-looking tree, but it looks like a tree nonetheless. And so Stacy knows this. Stacy knows I don't eat asparagus. I mean, what's wrong with, like, mac and cheese? I mean, that's a real vegetable, right? And so, 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 so asparagus doesn't make any sense, right? So she's got asparagus before me, and no matter how hard she tries to make me eat asparagus, I'm just not going to do it. I've made up my mind that I'm not going to eat anything that looks like a tree or smells like a foot when you cook it. Simple rule, right? So this past week, not only did I have asparagus or on my plate at least, for dinner on, um, I think it was maybe Tuesday night. On Thursday night, we went to a, a dinner 
for the Life uh, Choices Pregnancy Center. Wonderful time uh, learning about how God is using that pregnancy center to, 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 to be a voice for the unborn in this community. It's a, a ministry you should support. And, and so, see, so we're there, and they brought, bring out a fancy dinner, and, and guess what was there? Asparagus. Like, wh- how hard is it to make mac and cheese? I just don't understand, right? Go buy a box of craft and open it up. It's not hard. We've done it several times this week, right? But so there we are, and there's asparagus on my plate. And what do I do? I mean, I can't not eat the stuff because I don't want to embarrass the people around me or show my ungratefulness for the asparagus on my plate. And I know there are people who are, are dying in different countries because they don't have asparagus. I get all that, but I don't like asparagus. I have made up my mind that if it looks like a tree and smells like a foot when you cook it, I'm not going to eat it. You can tell me all the health benefits, that it'll reduce my risk of cancer, that it'll help me not to have dementia when I get older, or all those things. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. And I tell you all that to tell you, just like I'm adamant about the things I will not eat, you're adamant at times about what you will and will not do for God. And so what you've chosen to do and what I've chosen to do at times, and really it's it's kind of an oxymoron, right? We've chosen to be disobedient Christians. I'm not going to. I've made up my mind. And when you have that kind of attitude, what you're showing is that you are not at all open to the Spirit's leadership in your life. You are resisting and quenching the Spirit's leadership in your life when you say, not now, not there, and not me. But let me show you. We've got to move on. The story gets really interesting. You see, Philip is open to the Spirit's leadership, and he goes. He goes from Samaria back up to Jerusalem and and takes that long road from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And on the way, there's a man, an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, this is fascinating because the Bible says that this Ethiopian eunuch, he was completely different than Philip. He's from a faraway country. Their skin color was very different. Not only was their skin color different, unlike Philip, the Ethiopian, he's a man of influence, power. Prestige. He is the treasurer in the court of Queen Candace. He's a eunuch. Now that's different. But apparently what had happened is that he had castrated himself for the service of his queen. This was not an uncommon thing in those times. It was a way to show your loyalty. It was a way to show that, that yes, I would do whatever it takes. I would even sacrifice having my own family to serve the queen and have that position of power and influence and, and prestige. You see? Completely different than Philip. But even though he had power and prestige, even though he, he, he was a, a, a treasurer in the court of Candace, even though he had traded his family lineage away to have the power and position, it wasn't enough. And he had made the 1,200-mile journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem looking for answers. Now, we don't know the entire backstory, but, 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 but I can just speculate that there he was in Ethiopia. And he had it all, but as the, although he had it all, he realized he had nothing at all. And I don't know how he heard about the God of Israel, but apparently he had And so he makes his way to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel at the temple, to learn more about the God of Israel at the temple. And he makes that long journey in his chariot. It probably took him days to get there. And when he gets to Jerusalem, do you know what he can't do? He can't worship. Do you know why? There's a very interesting passage of Scripture, one I'm not going to read to you this morning because it's a little PG, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 23, 1 essentially says this. If you have been sexually altered like this man had been, you've been 
castrated, if you were a eunuch, then you were not welcome in the assembly of the Lord. There you gone. He had left. He had taken time off work. He had spent the resources to go to Jerusalem to learn about the God of all creation, to worship. And he gets there, and he can't even worship in the assembly of God because of his physical condition. Imagine the disappointment. He gets back in his chariot, and he makes his way back to Ethiopia, heartbroken. He has no answers. He doesn't have hope because he can't be in the assembly of the Lord because of his altered physical condition. And we don't know how he got it. The Bible just doesn't say. But he had the scroll of Isaiah open. Uh, He was obviously a man of wealth and means because in those days, not everybody owned a scroll. I mean, it it was financially impossible. But maybe while he was in Jerusalem, again, we're reading into the story just a bit, but maybe while he was in Jerusalem, he talked to a rabbi. And the rabbi said, you want to know more? Buy this scroll. Don't know. But on his way back to Ethiopia, he has the scroll open, and he's reading it out loud as would have been the custom of the day. And as he's reading it, the Spirit says to Philip, you see that man? I I brought you out of Samaria for that man. I brought you out of Samaria for that man right there. You see, what we see in the passage is God is orchestrating it all. God is drawing this Ethiopian to himself. God is at work in the life of this Ethiopian, and this Ethiopian needs to hear the good news. And so, so, so God moves Philip from Samaria where things were comfortable, where things were successful, and he moves him all the way to this deserted road for this one man. And the Bible says, as the Spirit tells Philip to go speak to this man, Philip runs. He runs the chariot, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And can you imagine the scene? You're riding your car, everything's going well, and some guy runs up beside you. Hey, what are you doing? Can we talk? I mean, that's just odd, but that's exactly what happens. And they're nothing alike. Uh, Philip's a, a, just an ordinary person. The old Ethiopian's a man of influence. Philip's normal. The Ethiopian is not. He's a eunuch. But the gospel breaks down all barriers. And in that moment, Philip saw what God saw. Philip saw a life that needed to be changed by the power of the gospel. Let me show you something. Open your heart to the Spirit's leadership. Also, open your eyes to the lostness that surrounds you. Just two realities that that I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about. You know these things. You know you know this. All people are broken. This was the Ethiopian eunuch. Broken. He knew something wasn't right. Even though he had it all, the wealth, the prestige, the influence, the position, something was drastically missing. And I would be safe to assume that, that among the people that you know, and even among people that you don't know, God is at work revealing to them that something's not right. There's more in this life than what they've settled for. All people are broken. And, and I watch this. All people are made in the image of God. You know what that means, don't you? That we were created for relationship with him. We were created to know God, to live in intimacy with him. We were created to walk with him, but we're broken. And apart from the work of Jesus Christ, we can't walk with the God that we were made in the image of because sin separates us from that God. And so in that moment, there on that road, on the way to Ethiopia, Philip saw what God saw, a broken man who needed hope. Now, now, I want to show you a picture. This is me in in, in China a few years ago. And and so um, I was on a subway. And, And on the subway, 
rush hour in the city of Chinyong, there were a million five hundred thousand and twenty-three people on that subway. I mean, it was jam-packed with people. I mean, obviously, there was still room for me to take a selfie, but that's beside the point. So there are so many people on the subway that you're just kind of crammed in there like a sardine. I mean, it's tight. If you have personal space issues, it's not where you want to be. If you're claustrophobic, it's not where you want to be. I mean, it was an interesting ride on the subway as I'm there, kind of shoulder to shoulder to anybody and everybody, and not hoping I won't catch a cold from people who are sneezing on me, all those kinds of things, right? But I was, as I was on that subway in China several years ago, the thought that crossed my mind was not the fact that I could get sick if somebody sneezed or not the fact that somebody was in my personal space or stepping on my feet. That wasn't what was on my mind. In that moment on that subway, I was reminded very clearly that most of the people on that subway with me would spend an eternity apart from Christ in hell. Just statistically speaking, that's reality. And that's reality for most of the world. That's reality at your workplace those people that you work with every day, most of them are on their way to a Christless eternity. You have family members, people that you associate with on a regular basis, people that will minister to this year in places like Guatemala, Russia, Boston, or wherever else we go, that have no clue that there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to challenge you this morning with as much love and humility as I can to open your eyes and see what God sees. See people who are broken and lost and on their way to a Christless eternity. You see, we sit in this room, isolating ourselves from the outside world, in our comforts of this church facility, not thinking about this morning that outside these walls are thousands and thousands of people around us that if they were to die today would be apart from Christ forever. Open your eyes because when you open your eyes, now watch this, when you open your eyes, you will open your mouth to share the truth of the gospel. This is so good. You, you have to see what takes place in the story. And so, so, so Philip is there, and, and, and he's in the chariot now, and he's reading. What are you reading? Isaiah chapter 53. And you know Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is that chapter in the Old Testament where, where the death of Christ is prophesied. A beautiful chapter. But let me show you something. Take your Bibles and go back to Isaiah with me. Go back to chapter... Uh, 56, Isaiah chapter 56. So go back to the Old Testament, past Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and eventually you'll get to this big book, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 56, look at what it says in verse 4 and 6. Because my assumption is that while the Bible here in the New Testament tells us these two verses from Isaiah chapter 53 that the eunuch read, my assumption is he probably read a little bit more than that. He probably read a little bit before that as well. My assumption is that as he was studying that scroll of Isaiah, as he was on his way back to Ethiopia, he came across these verses. Now listen, this is amazing. Look at what it says. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The foreigners who join themselves with the Lord to minister to him, to the love, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Now stop right there. I wonder that as the Ethiopian eunuch made his way back to Ethiopia, if he read those verses and he said, there's the hope. The Bible says, Isaiah says, that there's hope for people like me. 
a eunuch, someone who is, who is different physically. God has said that if I follow him and I, and I live for him, that I will inherit a name. But how can I? Because I just went to Jerusalem. And when I got to Jerusalem, what they told me was I'm not welcome. And then he reads Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, you, you see what it says. In verse 4, for example, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6, that Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted. And you can imagine that as the Ethiopian eunuch reads those verses, there's hope. Because he read over in Isaiah 56 that there was hope for people like him. But it didn't seem that way because he went to Jerusalem and they said he wasn't welcome there. But now on the way back to Ethiopia, as he's reading through the prophet Isaiah, maybe there is hope. And maybe the hope comes in this person. Maybe there's someone who really did this, who took my sin upon myself, upon himself, because I know I've rebelled. I know I have not lived a life to honor God. Maybe there really is someone who was punished in my place. And there in that chariot, as he's asking Philip about these verses, Philip says, let me tell you the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the one that Isaiah 53 prophesies about. He is the one who bore your iniquities. He is the one who was smitten and stricken. He is the one whose chastisement was laid upon him for your forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says that, that as Philip explained the gospel to this Ethiopian, that the Ethiopian saw water in the desert. I don't know how it was there, but it was there, right? There's water in the desert. And he says, there's water. Why can't I be baptized right now? Now, this is so good. Because he had been to Jerusalem. He had been to the temple. He had been to the epicenter of the Jewish religion. And the Jewish religion said to him, you're not welcome here. You can't be one of us because you're different. But there, in a water, in a pool, in the middle of the desert, this Ethiopian was baptized and proclaimed to the world and to us through Acts chapter 8 that he is one of us because the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel breaks down all barriers. The gospel says, whosoever will, come. No matter what you've done, no matter your past, no matter how broken you are, no matter how sinful you are, if you will believe that Christ died for you and rose again, if you will believe that he was punished in your place, and if you will give your life to him, you can belong. You can know purpose. You can know meaning. You can know satisfaction. It can be yours if you trust in him. The question for us as followers of Jesus is, can you? Can you? If you identify that person who God is drawing to himself, that person who knows there's got to be something more, if you can identify that person who's lost and broken, can you? Can you sit down with that person and take Scripture like Philip did and point that person to Jesus? Because let's be honest, I think many of us struggle with that. But listen, you can do it. God has given you his spirit and he's given you his word. You can say to someone, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, Romans 6.23, all deserve death. 
eternal death because the wages, what you earn for sin is death. But, Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life. And Romans 5.8, this is how much God loves you. This is how he gave you the gift that while you were still a sinner, rebellious against him, he gave his son who died in your place and rose again three days later. Romans 10.9, if you confess, if you believe that gospel message that he lived and died and rose again for you, you will be saved. In fact, Romans 10.13, everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans 5.1, you see, in Christ you're justified. You're made right. I know you're not right. I know your life's been a mess. I know you've sought after other things than God, but God will make you right in Christ and you can have peace with him. And, and when you have peace in Christ, you can know, you can rest assured, Romans 8, 1, that there, therefore now is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you can be assured, Romans 8, 38 and 39, that nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ our Lord. You see, it's really that easy to sit down and to open your mouth and share with somebody the truth of the gospel from the word of God. The Bible teaches that God loves us so much that he gave his son. If you'll share that message and help people to understand there's truth, and just think what could happen. What could happen in our community if we took serious the call to follow the Spirit's leadership, to open our eyes to the lostness around us, and to open our mouths to share the truth of the gospel? What could happen in our community if we were just faithful to do what God has equipped us through his spirit and through his word to do? And so the question I want to ask you, follower of Jesus, come in here real close. I want to ask you this with as much love and humility as possible. This past week, this past month, did you even try? Did you even try to live on mission? Did you even try to pray for someone who is not a follower of Jesus? Did you even try to share the gospel? You, say, you see, if you didn't even try, you're completely missing it. You're completely missing the reason why God has left you on this earth. And so maybe this morning, as we have a time of invitation together, the invitation for you is to repent. To repent of not being open to the Spirit's leadership. Of always saying, not me, not now, not there. To repent of not seeing people as God sees them. Broken people made in the image of God who need to hear the gospel so they can be restored to God. Maybe it's to repent of not opening your mouth. Time and time again, you've let opportunity pass by instead of opening your mouth and leading someone to understand what Scripture says about salvation. Maybe you repent this morning. You come as we have a time invitation and ask God to help you, to help you live a life on mission, empowered by the Spirit, ready to go and do whatever He calls you to do. Maybe you want to come this morning and simply pray for that family member for that friend that's far from God, yet close to you. You come and pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear that God loves you because you're like the Ethiopian eunuch. You feel like you're separated and isolated from everybody and you know there's got to be more and you've looked for more here and there, but you can't find it. This morning, you've heard the gospel. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He took the penalty for your sins that you deserved. He rose again three days later. And this morning, if you'll give your life to him, if you'll turn from your sins and turn to him, if you'll let him write the story of your life, this morning he will gloriously save you and give you life abundant and eternal, hope for, for, for a resurrection of Christ. 
He will give you an inheritance forever. You'll turn your life over to him. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'll be down front. I would love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. We also have some, some people who are in the lobby area. If you want to walk to the back, just walk out there. They'll be ready to find you and help you to understand how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. But today, let today be your day of salvation as you consider what Christ has done for you through his death and resurrection. For those of us who are believers, let's respond by being a people who, who live on mission for the king and share the good news whenever the opportunity arises. As God leads you, you respond to his spirit's leadership. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning, for time together in your word. Now, Father, I pray that uh, as we consider what your word says to us, we'll be convicted and challenged as believers to live on mission for you, to make Jesus known. And Father, for those of us who might be in this room who've never placed our faith and trust in Jesus, I pray today will be our day of salvation, that right now we would make a decision to give our lives to you, to seek you for forgiveness of sins, to seek your grace so we can have new life. So Father, in these moments, help us to respond to your spirit's leadership and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation together. You respond now as the spirit of God leads you.